Well, hello, Caleb Sizemore. Don't give out my full name. You can say my full name. Seth Ellington. You think that's my real name. Seth Monroe Ellington. Yeah, I guess that is my real name. <laughs> <laughs> Cat's out of the bag, folks. Um, yeah, it is good to hear your voice. And as always, I think we have a pretty exciting movie to discuss this week. Yes, definitely. Um, I think I have a lot of things I can say later, but I think it as um is probably first and most important to observe that we cho- chose to watch um a Sean Connery James Bond movie in honor of the late great Sean Connery. Yes. Um, um as as many of you may know who are listening Sean Connery passed away I believe it was 2 weeks ago today. Mm. Um, let me verify that real quick. It's a good thing I have Google in front of me. October 31st. Oh, so that was three weeks ago. Mm. Um, but, but yes, he, he has recently passed. And so we decided to review, um, one of his movies and he is most notably the first Bond or, or the person who helped get Bond onto the big screen and into the mainstream. Mm. And I know that for me personally, I wanted to choose a movie that was sort of one of the better ones, but also wasn't necessarily the most popular, just to sort of, I guess, allow uh, uh, maybe a more overlooked movie to, to get some notice. So I believe a lot of people would have and may have talked about Goldfinger or Dr. No, because Dr. No was the first. And then Goldfinger is probably the most famous Bond movie, mm. um, or at least his. It's probably a toss-up between Goldenfinger and Goldeneye, if I had to guess. But... Um, we are doing the fourth installment in the Bond series, which is Thunderball, released in 1965. Yes, and I think that was a great um, recap of him as Bond, and I will admit, I think he's probably my favorite Bond. If not, he's definitely one of my favorite Bonds of the various actors who have portrayed him. Um, So, I, I enjoyed watching one of his movies, and I'm looking forward to talking about it yes and i will just echo what you said i i kind of flip-flop between sean connery and daniel craig i Mm -hmm. I grew up going to see the daniel craig movies i i remember i saw i don't know if i saw casino royale in theaters but i've definitely seen every daniel craig bond since then in theaters Mm -hmm. um so that's sort of the, the, the guy that I grew up with who, who was in the role. But having gone back and watched all of the Bond movies, most likely twice at least, I would say Sean Connery is, is my favorite or my second favorite. Yeah. Well, without further ado, let's get the show on the road. Okay. Well, I guess I will run us through the IMDb stats. <laughs> uh, so like I said, 1965. Uh, this movie was um, released basically at Christmas. It was December 22nd. So I don't know if that's meaningful, but... <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, it, it, uh, it saw the return of the organization known as Spectre. I believe it's the I'm I'm sure that Spectre was in it from the get-go. Right. But um, Claudine Auger is the Bond girl. She is... I've seen images of, of Sean Connery and her behind the scenes sort of chilling, um, which is kind of... I, I believe she's a French actress. Mm-hmm. Um, but... And I guess they're really... I don't, I don't know how you would really number the Bond women in a film, but they were... 
I guess, three romantic interests for him. Well, there was, there was like four or so, <laughs> I guess it's a, it's, it's hard because there was the woman from the very beginning of, of the movie. Right. Um, Oh yeah. The, um, I guess, um, I don't know the, the Asian woman. And then there is the woman from the, I guess, spa resort, health spa. Yes. And then there was Pauline or Paula. I, I, yeah, Paula. Yeah, Paula. And then you have the female assassin working. Yeah, Fiona. Specter. Yeah, working with Largo. And mm-hmm. then you have um, Domino, who is, I guess, the 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 more, I guess, focus Bond girl, or the one who receives the more the more the most focus. Yeah, and is the I guess central love interest for James Bond. Yeah. Um, and we can talk yeah, more about, I think this movie made some, made at least one or two jokes about, uh, the trope of a Bond woman. Um, but yeah, we can keep going with the INDB information. Yeah. So I skipped over this, but it was directed by Terrence Young and I believe he did the first four Bonds. It mm. might've, um, I don't think he did. You only live twice, which I believe was the fifth one. Um, mm. Let me just check that. Because I guess more recently it's become popular in the Bond franchise to like trade the directing around, right? Yeah. So they 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 pick. Well, I believe it's 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 different people every time. I know that Sam Mendez or. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that last name right, mm-hmm. but I know that he's been involved. I think he did Skyfall. Yeah, I believe that's correct. But yeah, I, I think that it changes hands the same way that, you know, the, the musical guest, if you will, right. changes every time. Unless you're, you know, um, who was the one? So... There was someone that did like two or three Bond movies, and I, I can't remember if it was a Sinatra, like a Nancy Sinatra. Mm. I might be making that up. I, I get mi- names mixed up a lot. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, they typically try to, at least now, they pick someone who's current and hip. And so so Billie Eilish is doing the uh, the new one for No Time to Die. Oh, cool. And then... Previously, we had Sam Smith, and then Adele, and then I'm just moving backwards. I think it was Alicia Keys and someone, and then mm-hmm. Casino Royale was Chris Cornell. Um, but yeah, and then, and then some horrible music from the '90s with Pierce Brosnan. I think the worst Bond song ever was maybe Madonna's. Oh, <laughs> or, uh, okay. I don't I remember. Guess, yeah. I guess uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service didn't really have a song. It was just kind of an instrumental, weird, very British thing. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> but but I, I think the worst lyrical song is probably Madonna's. Oh, yeah. Although maybe I'm just, you know, this is my way of coming out as saying I don't like Madonna. <laughs> well, I mean, <laughs> I guess her style's not for everybody. But yeah, Terrence Young, it looks like he did the first four, but he dropped out um, after Thunderball. Mm-hmm. That's what I'm seeing here. So yeah, I'll keep moving. Did you did you notice any actors from anything else? The, I mean, obviously you have returning Bernard Lee, Desmond Llewellyn, and Lois Maxwell. They were in yeah. like the first... MQ and Money Penny. 15 movies or something. Yeah. <laughs> Um, but yeah, none of these actors I, I recognize. And I guess this movie is old enough that some of these actors might've had like the heyday of their careers before, you know, well before we were born. Mm -hmm. So I believe my dad knew, I believe he mentioned Rick Van Nutter by name Mm -hmm. when we were watching this, who is the guy that plays Felix Leiter Mm. in this movie. So I think my dad knew him, but 
Yeah. I didn't. So. Yeah. He was a, he's a cool Felix. Yeah. He had a cool look to him. I just, I have a love-hate relationship with the character because I feel like there's usually not much for him to do in the movies. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that there have been a lot of poor portrayals. <laughs> yeah. So, but I, I, I think he had a cool look in this movie. And yeah. I guess he, he sort of helped advance the the plot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which, what more could you want in a Felix life? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, I guess uh, if there's not much more to say about the cast. um, it So... I guess I'll leave you to to talk about this a bit later, but mm-hmm. most of the shots looked like they were done underwater. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know how revolutionary that technology was for the time, but uh, yeah, we'll talk about the, the, the actual proportion later, but it was a significant portion of the movie that was actually underwater um, or, or just in the water, but especially under the water. So that was pretty yes. cool. I'm trying to look because I know that they were in Nassau. Is that what it is? Yeah, Nassau, Nassau, Bahamas. Yeah, so that's the Bahamas. So um, I'm just wondering if they did a lot of filming on location or, I mean, obviously some of the shots would have had to be on location, but I'm just yeah, wondering yeah. if they did any filming offsite. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, oh, here we go. Filming and production. <laughs> I was looking for the, I was trying to stall while I was looking oh, for this. Oh, yeah, yeah. Um, so it looks like they did a lot of filming in... Um, it looks like they did most of it on site. Actually, all of it. That's really cool. Uh, it, it looks like they were in the UK some, the Bahamas. They were in France for that funeral at the beginning. Yeah, just very movie. briefly. Yeah, they, so um, Florida. They mm-hmm. did some underwater close-up shots in Florida. Yeah. But, yeah, so it looks like they, they spent most of their time traveling abroad, which, good grief. Like, I guess Sean Connery was living a life. Yeah. Traveling the world. Yeah. Well, I mean, <laughs> doing these yeah. movies. And compared to the other Bond movies, I feel like this one camped out more in one location than mm-hmm. some of the other ones. Um, but I think some of that was because they just needed to be underwater <laughs> for a lot of the time. So they can't really, you know. Well, also the, the plot—they they were kind of forced to stay in one area right, because yeah. you know the the uh, nuclear missiles yeah. were basically what the plot revolved around, and they were sort of being kept in a stationary yeah location. right right right. So that was yeah necessary, I guess, to to the plot. But but yeah, I think I think you're right. Typically, they do visit more countries, and I think that that's almost like another cast member for the movies is is you always kind of are looking to see where they go where james Bond yeah travels. yeah i think so i don't know the, the categories in which are things you expect to see in a bond movie i guess you expect some novel action kind of stuff you expect um interaction with m uh interaction with money penny interaction with q and some gadgets that will play you know significant roles in the plot you expect the horrible or amazing one-liners, whichever you know your personal taste is. Um, the Bond girls, of course, as you mentioned earlier. Beautiful women. The most beautiful women of, of whoever is the most, you know, you know, hot commodity at the time of filming. That's who they try to get in the movie, like models. and. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's definitely their strategy um, with these movies. And, of course, having, like, the continuity with the character of 007 but now that's spanning um, many actors so and vehicles yeah yeah the vehicles of course how could I forget the cars this one did not make a big deal about the car but there was a car I guess it was there yeah the beginning was was mostly I guess the only time you ever saw I mean I think there was a a Mustang or a Ford um, when they got to Nassau Nassau, mm-hmm. Nassau. I don't know how to pronounce it. Yeah, that. yeah. But, but, yeah. So the, the Aston Martin was there in this movie. It's not always an Aston Martin, though. It was a, you know, it, it's it's differed. Yeah. Um, the Aston Martin is probably the the most prominent and most common luxury vehicle to be found in these movies. But right. 
it's not always the case. Yeah. Well, is there anything else you wanted to mention from the IMDb before I attempt my one sentence synopsis? So I guess um, I talk. So Tom Jones did the song. He 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 sang the Thunderball song theme song. Um, so he I know him from that. You know, it's not unusual <laughs> that song. Mm-hmm. Um, but so he was, you know, huge figure back then in in the musical industry. Mm. Um, and I also wanted to touch on budget and, and I guess worldwide gross. So the budget was an estimated nine million. Um, which I, I'd be curious. Like I'm not going to take the time to do it now, but I'd be curious to know what that would um, be in today's dollars. That's a lot. Um, and like the movie, yeah. the the ransom price that's put up, I think is a hundred million pounds, and like which was like more. I don't know if it was more than $200 million or how much it was, but mm-hmm. I think that is a pretty insane amount of Sterling money. Sterling or something. That's the, yeah. That was the, the word that they dropped. I don't know what that means. I think that's, that's <laughs> like the uh, silver standard or whatever. Uh, okay. But, but yeah. Um, yeah. It'd be interesting to know, you know, adjusting for inflation, like what that dollar amount would it, it, yeah. it, um, equate to today. Yeah. I'm on it. You can um, <laughs> you can you can keep talking. Well, okay. So the budget, like I said, estimated nine million, and the cumulative worldwide gross is uh, sixty three and a half million. So, pretty solid return on investment. Mm. About you know seven times over. Wow. Yeah. I don't know what the average for a bond movie is, but I mean, I feel like most all of them have been successful. Or none tanked so badly that they quit making them. I think there was a dip in the eighties, yeah. early eighties. Um, I think the later Roger Moore movies and maybe the Timothy Dalton era are overlooked, or yeah, they weren't as, I guess, in the mainstream at that point. Yeah, or I mean, they they might have still been in the mainstream, and I wasn't alive then to know. But I know that those movies are definitely left out of conversations that I've had with other people who claim to be big yeah, bond fans. Yeah, yeah. So the quick calculation, I actually learned how to do this in economics class, but I just didn't have the I mental made to do it right with now. You, <laughs> um, right beside you. But if you, if you take the yearly <laughs> inflation and add it all up, I think that it is about eight and a quarter times as much right now as it would have been in 1965. So the hundred million would have been close to um, eight hundred billion, so close to a trillion dollars <laughs> as the ransom, which is a lot. Uh, that's that's yeah, that's that's that that makes more sense. Yeah. Um, well, cool. I think you, you hit some good highlights there with your observations, and we'll you know, of course, revisit. Yeah. Some and, important and things. Real quick, I wanted to touch on. I didn't do some. I didn't do more research. Um, in preparation for this podcast episode, which I wish I had, but I do know that there was some, I guess, behind the scenes, some issues with making Thunderball, mm. getting it made. Um, I believe that this was possibly supposed to be the first movie made. Oh, um, wow. And then there was some some issues with rights and and who was able to make the movie finally i guess they were able to you know the right people said yes and the right hands were shook and they they did it but i know that later on whoever still had the rights to thunderball Mm. come you know 70s or 80s they decided that they wanted to compete with the main Bond oh yeah, 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 and they made Never Say Never Again, which is basically a remake of Thunderball. Yeah, I, actually, with I'll, Sean yeah. Connery coming back to, <laughs> to reprise his role of James Bond, and I think it was up against A View to a Kill or, or one of those late mm-hmm. Roger Moore Bonds. Yeah, um, yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I found that so. Yeah, it was a dispute over. There were some collaborating uh, producers and writers that helped with the story. Um, that wanted credit that didn't get credit. So they were able to sue and that created that legal battle. Um, 
which I understand if they, you know, played an instrumental role in it, that they would want to get yeah. credit. But that is an interesting story that you basically get a remake of that with a um, off-brand Bond movie a little bit later. Yeah, I've seen it, and uh, I haven't acquired a copy yet, but I feel like I need to as the as the Bond fan that I claim to be. Mm-hmm. But um, it was okay. <laughs> it was. It had a. It had a Kim Basinger. Or Basinger mm-hmm. as the Bond girl, and like I said, Sean Connery came back and. He was he was older, so it was interesting. Just although you know Roger Moore was Bond into, I think he was fifty eight when he left the role. So yeah, uh, it's not too, I guess, absurd that Sean Connery was a bit older for for that movie. Yeah, yeah, it's it's a it's a it's a whatever movie. <laughs> yeah. Um. Well, I will attempt my synopsis now if you're ready for it. You can tell me what you think. Definitely. Use, I'm, working, I'm working on being shorter, and then we can re- go back to the details later. Um, yeah, let's hear it. So here's how, if I were to just, someone asked me, Seth, what is this movie about? Here's what I would say. After the diabolical specter steals two nuclear warheads from NATO, 007 races against the clock to make quippy one-liners, seduce women, and intercept the bombs underwater before they become thunderballs. Would, yeah. I think that pretty much covers it. Yeah. And I I, I, I mean, I think it, I think it oversimplifies the plot <laughs> a bit, but I mean, I think that's definitely, you know, in a, in a, in a passing conversation, if someone was like, what's this movie about? I definitely think that, that, um, gets the job done. <laughs> yes. Well, that was the goal. And I, I, I researched the term Thunderball, I think was a, a term used to describe mushroom clouds by like pilots or something. So I, I was real, I was like, okay, so what, what does Thunderball have to do anything? Is it like the backup name for Thor's hammer? So you got like Mjolnir, you got Stormbreaker and you got Thunderball. Like when they ran out of ideas, you just like, you know, I wasn't exactly sure how it connected, but that makes more sense because there was no thunder and there were, there were not like in the movie. It wasn't like, I wasn't like, was there like storm thing or, um, and Sean Connery didn't bear his balls at any point. Oh my goodness! Luckily, he did not do that. That was that was not what I was watching this movie uh, looking for. Um, but yeah, I think I mentioned those just funny things as the tropes of Bond movies because I was I started to keep track of the jokes and I, I missed a lot of them. I got up to like fifteen, <laughs> and they were just like all like these one liners that, like for example. He was walking out in it early on in the movie. This is like in the first like 20 minutes or so. He was walking. There was like already this is like the sixth joke I caught. Um, he was walking out of like the irrigation room in this health spa. See you later, yeah. irrigator. See you later, <laughs> irrigator. And that's my best Sean Connery impression. Um, that, that's one of my favorite puns. Yeah. Yeah. The entire series. Yeah. And then, of course, late, later on, um, he I think one I liked was he shoots the guy with the harpoon. and He says, I think he's got the point. <laughs> Yeah. That one, I guess, was that caught me off guard. And I, I think I chuckled when he um, when he said that. But yeah, just so many. I, I like his delivery. Sometimes uh, with his accent, there's nothing against him. I just have a hard time understanding like the um, mm-hmm. the words when he when he says it kind of quick and like in passing like that with the, some of those things. Yeah, but I think I think he's a really funny um, Bond actor. Yeah, he's a he's a um his delivery is. Is, is great, but I think what makes it better is the fact that he's also a no-nonsense Bond. Like, when it gets down to it, he's probably one of the most brutal Bonds yeah. or violent. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and then he'll just deliver a, a, a quip, like, right after, yeah, you know, yeah. killing like a, someone. Yeah, yeah. Or, like, at the very beginning, he kills this man, the Spectre agent, who's dressed up as a woman. And then, like, before walking out of the room, he takes time to, like, throw flowers onto him as, like, a, yeah. you know, just, like, a burial. Like, After or, just such a, yeah, such a, like, heavy Yeah, there's, wa- there's wailing on each other. Breaking yeah. furniture yeah. and just, just tearing up the entire yeah. room. Yeah, yeah. Um, was that opening sequence, I think, was interesting. Awesome. Um, it was, uh, it's, the, it's, it's, yeah. it's perfect James Bond opener. Yeah, and the jetpack was, I think, was... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that was just so surprising. It's like, how does the jetpack get on the roof for him to fly away? Like they must have been planning this, you know, pretty far out. And then the filming of that, I don't know how they filmed it with the special effects, but like, except for when they did like the green screen shot of him in the air, like it looked like a dude was flying, you know, in a jetpack. So that was pretty cool. 
Um, I think they did a lot with aerial stuff in this movie. Um, just yeah. by by comparison, like there's like helicopters. There was that. Um, there's he has underwater jetpack thing later on in the movie where he's like zooming around in the final battle. Um, and then at the, the very end, of course, he's with him and uh, Domino are whisked away by the skyhook thing, which that does not seem safe at all. That you're sitting. And a plane comes and just like picks you up on a rope and just drags you along. I feel like that would give you some serious whiplash or something. Yeah. Well, I mean, we used to play football with rubber helmets. Yeah. So. True. <laughs> I mean, just more more evidence why Sean Connery is just a manly man. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um. He earned that hair on his chest. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say he's probably the hairiest chested James Bond, but I don't actually have any data to back that up. That's just my Women my liked impression. Women like Harry back then. Yeah, I guess so. And he's also Scottish. That probably... Yeah. I don't know if Scottish men are... I think they're known for being hairy. Yeah. If you're Scottish and listening to this, we apologize that we don't know more about you. Um, yeah, sorry to sorry to generalize. <laughs> if you're not hairy, then I, I apologize Yeah, you don't have to prove it to us. We believe you. Um... <laughs> So, and while we're talking about tropes, I guess I also noticed, and I mentioned this to you um, in a previous conversation, but this movie, I don't know if it was the first one to do this, but he never introduces himself as James Bond. Uh, And this is, I think, intentional because he introduces himself as Bond a few times, and I think one time as James Bond. But then, but the woman, Fiona, later on in the movie, the Bond girl, she's like going on this rant about, oh, you just think that you can just come in and these women will like melt before you and they'll like go away from the bad side and start good. Well, I tell you what, Mr. Bond, Mr. James Bond, or, you know, it's like, she's, she gives the delivery of his name as the Mr. Bond, James Bond, um, in, in kind of like a retort sarcastic fashion. Um, and again, that, I think that was just the movie also starting to play with the trope a little bit where like they're recognizing like, you know what he is in every movie. He basically is just turning like one of the evil women to help him in his cause and, and stuff. Yeah, he can sex them into joining the good side. Is, right. is a trope right. that exists in a lot of the older right. movies. Which he says is for King and Country. Or even King the newer Country. movies, I guess. Yeah, I think that's just part of yeah how the spy movie... I don't know, not every spy movie, but there does seem to be some of that just as a, as a I don't know, as a common thing in the spy genre. Um, so I noticed that. That was, I guess, just interesting. Um, not having watched, you know, some of these movies in a while, just because I was expecting it's like, name's Bond, James Bond, or... Um, something like that, but that was not the case in this particular movie. Um, so I don't know if you had any other comment on that phenomenon or not. No, and and I think so. We we sort of had a discussion about this yesterday, mm-hmm. um, and I sort of mentioned that I, I you you had you had said that you thought that maybe they intentionally were like winking at the audience by not ever saying. Bond, James Bond, like mm-hmm. that particular phrase. Yeah, and I, I guess my just to play devil's advocate, sure. I was, I was kind of just thinking, well, like the Pierce Brosnan era is when they became very self-aware and sort of just winkingly, just you know, l- lean sure. into the yeah. the uh, absurdity of the movies. Yeah, <laughs> um, and and so, but I don't know if they were necessarily aware or that. They were probably aware, but yeah. I don't know if they necessarily would have, you know, winkingly or jokingly sort of poked fun at those yeah. movies. And might, yeah, it might not have been um, that. Back yeah. then. That's, that, that's fair. It might have been that intent, but it is it's just interesting that that um, is maybe a conscious decision that they might have started to switch it up a little bit, you know, so they're keeping it. It's not not just keeping, continuing to make the same movie over and over, just fill in the blank location, fill in the blank gadget, fill in the blank bad guy. Yeah. Just over and over. Um. So the, I guess I had a few other observations, I guess. Um, I talk about sometimes, you know, how the beginning of the movie connects to the end or how some things are just mirrored and stuff. Um, So I think the the flying at the beginning, I mentioned in the jetpack, you know, and then of course he flies to safety at the end in the, in the skyhook plane. I think that's an interesting parallel. Um, Oh, and he's in the health spot at the beginning, the, uh, Count Lippy comes in and turns the stretch machine up to like eleven, cranks that bad boy up, and he's like getting he was he was being gently rocked, and then he starts like convulsing in this like uh, 
thing. I guess it's where the idea is that it's so intense it could like break his back and kill him. But you know, of course, James Bond is indestructible and is fine. And a similar phenomenon happens at the end when the boat, the um, speed lever on the boat gets like jammed forward too, and like gets cranked all the way up, and then the boat starts going crazy with like a fast motion kind of you know uh, steering around going on. So I just thought it was inter- interesting. You know, perhaps there is intentionality on that level. Um, and he has two almost identical rendezvous with Domino. It's like when he gets to Nassau, he meets her diving underwater. Um, and like, she gets stuck and like he helps her get up and stuff. And then later on in the movie, after he's been gone for a while, like doing 007 things that he catches up with her again, like underwater. And then she becomes the bond girl. And then they you know resurface and he like wins her over and all that stuff. So it was in- interesting that he, that those scenes were very dissimilar um, in the James and Domino meetings. Um, yeah. I think the, I think the gadgets, I guess it would be really pointless if they included a gadget that he didn't use in the movie. Cause you'd just be like, that was, well, what was the point of, you know, being introduced to that. Um, so all the, all the gadgets do come into ca- do come into handy. So he uses the underwater camera to spot, you know, the hatch in, um, Largo's boat. He uses the flare to be rescued from the caves after he gets left behind uh, when they recover the missiles. Uh, he uses the rebreather a lot. He uses the rebreather way past what Q said he could use, which that's... Yeah, he uses that thing for like probably a solid 10 minutes plus. Um, I wonder if it's rechargeable or refillable. True, yeah. yeah. We'll give, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt there. Um, but I noticed that did give him a really big advantage in the fight at the end because all these guys are like cutting the air lines or air pipes on their um, suits. And stuff on the on the scuba equipment, and that's how people are getting choked out. But like for him, he's just got this lower breather in his mouth, so no one can like get the upper hand on him. Yeah. Um, and of course, he uses that to escape from sharks, which was pretty cool. I like that scene yes. a lot. What did you think of that that um, house that large? Yeah. Had, so that yeah, the Palmyra. I, I imagine that's just some wealthy person's real house that they're able to use. Like it didn't look like a set; it just looked like a you know very nice island estate with some interconnected pools and stuff. Um, but that was, that was really cool. And like the, um, it almost kind of gave you some Tony Stark vibes with like, you know, just like the, yeah. the big white house overlooking the ocean and um, stuff. So I think Largo was a pretty cool bad guy, I guess. Like, I, I know you're, you're partial to um, Blofeld as like the, the main dude, but in terms of just like uh how much the interaction between Largo and Bond in this movie, I think is pretty interesting how they like are, you know, just kind of like toe to toe verbally jousting and taking small steps. Yeah. And I love, I love the, um, the, the toying that each of them does with one Mm -hmm. another and how they both know. Yeah, completely. Like, like, (laughs) but they'll, they, they are so formal and are inviting each other to, to, to dinners yeah. and to parties yeah. and stuff like yeah. that and um fully intending like plotting the other one's downfall at yeah. the same yeah. time and and doing sneaking around and spying yeah but but being completely formal and and very i guess just gentlemanly toward one another which i i just i don't yeah. know i, I love yeah. it's like a, it's like a gentleman's game these yeah. spy movie yeah of, of spying it's like it's like sherlock and um um moriarty yeah, more. Yeah, I was gonna say my cross. Like, <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I think I think there is something to that, and I don't know, maybe some elegance to the Bond characters, where like it's not as simple as it's just like you know they just have a fight or whatever. It's like they're you no, know, they're like aware of each other the whole time. Like it's there's this dance that they basically do um, around each other, like just like little dropping little hints, like James. You're saying, oh, like I see a specter, or like your specters like yeah, come up, like, or whatever. Yeah, it's my specter versus yeah. Yours. It's like, and the guy, and the, <laughs> he just yeah, yeah. He says it like twice. <laughs> yeah, and the guy, I think the guy finally, you know, if he didn't get it the first time, he definitely got it the second time. I think that was yeah, that's probably more for the audience's benefit than anyone. But and and the and the specter <laughs> people wearing these massive rings on their fingers and acting surprised like when they get made and like like uh, like Fiona is like, how did you know? It's like, well, like. I mean, you're wearing this like big old ring with a ghost octopus on it. I feel like that was a pretty good giveaway, um, but not to be cr- too critical. But it, it, I just found it funny that uh, funny that they're they're very they were very deliberate, you know. About it seems like the bad guys 
like being bad guys, want everyone to know they're bad guys um, and stuff. Yeah. And then the, uh, I guess one other thing I'd noticed uh, before we maybe talk a little about the underwater stuff um, was that he had two significant dances with his women. Mm-hmm. Um, so at the party, the first night when he, he's going um, and meets after he meets uh, Largo and, you know, starts playing that game with him. He dances with Domino at this, you know, dance and like they're talking and he's like trying to start winning her over and stuff. Um, and then he dances with Fiona briefly <laughs> um, before Fiona gets shot by her own team uh, during the Mardi Gras festival later on. Um, he's like, can I leave yeah. her with you? She's, she's just, just dead. dead. And I was to say that was, that was probably <laughs> one of my other favorite jokes just because it just, it just caught yeah. me so off guard. Like, he was just on a roll with like all these things. Like I said, I found, there were like 15 I caught. And then some of them I just didn't write down. Cause it was just like, yeah, was that a joke? Or is that just like, you know, I don't, like, how do you like, I don't call, call it a, for sure a joke. Um, but yeah, I, I think one issue potentially I had with this movie, and I don't want you know, to tip my hand before the evaluation. Um, despite the, a lot of the cool, like, aerial stuff like we were talking about like they got these paratroopers fall, falling flying into the ocean for this epic underwater battle was for me the issue um that because there was so much underwater it made it feel very slow um to me at least and like the action sequence yes yeah, so action and then just all the exploration and like they they followed the rule well of you know show not tell they showed us like every single step of how they got the missiles off of the plane into the into the um, you know, little underwater dinghy thing into the boat. Um, so I was curious. It was, so it was a two hour and 10 minute movie, I think with, you know, the credits. Um, so if you were to estimate what percentage of the movie was underwater, just from your vague recollection, what would your estimation be? 30%. 30%. Wow. You picked a number. Actually, I'm gonna have to calculate cause I don't actually know how to do this on my head. Point three times. This is 100, and let's call 100. And, uh... Oh, you were looking for like a... Oh, no, 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 that's, yeah, value. that's, that's, uh, I think, fine to um, do. So 30% of 100, and I said two hours, let's like, say, say 125. So that'd be, that'd be 37 minutes. Um, and I watched it, and I, and I did my yeah. best to keep up with it, and I'm definitely not, this is not exact, just I'm a few seconds off with how I was starting and stopping my timer, but it was about... A little over 25 minutes underwater out of the whole time. So what is that, 20%? Um, so yeah, 25 divided by 125. Oh, that's like, yes, yeah, exactly 20%. I need to use my calculator. Smart, use smart cookie. <laughs> um, yeah, so, 20, so about 20% of the movie was underwater. But it just, it felt like a lot of it was underwater. I, I was feeling like, man, like half this movie yeah. is underwater. But um, I think some of that was how they did the sound effects, which I think was cool because they made everything like bubbly and it felt like you were listening underwater. Like um, mm-hmm. it was a good sound effect, but because we're so used to uh, maybe like dialogue driven movies and stuff like that, when it's just all this underwater stuff, there's no talking, you know, breaking things up. It's just like action, 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 action. A little bit of music will pop in. Um, I was going to try to sing the underwater fighting music, but it's just, it's really, I, I kind of liked it. It's kind of funky and catchy. Um Yeah. I enjoyed that aspect of the score for this movie. But yeah, it was. I don't know what you. So your what your thoughts on the underwater stuff? Because it's definitely really cool. Um, but I thought it was really cool. I mean, the first time they do an underwater scene, I believe, is when um, homeboy. What was his name? Um, Fran- the guy Francois? who Francois is the pilot yeah. guy. Yeah, yeah. When when he like sort of crashed the plane into the ocean and then that whole sequence where he was um yeah. you know taken out yeah. and they, yeah. <laughs> they sort of take the the nuclear warheads off yeah. the aircraft and then cover yeah. it up and then uh that whole sequence was really yeah. cool um, Cause, yeah, cause they, did, they like showed it they, they showed every aspect of the um interchange i think yeah i i think towards the end I kind of had had enough yeah. of the underwater, but sort of like when, when James Bond is exploring and looking for the hatch yeah. and all of that stuff, I think is cool. Yeah. I think, 
I guess what I'm what I'm sort of talking myself into at this point is that the action sequences were lackluster because mm. it was typically some struggling and then someone cut someone's yeah you know oxygen right. hose and then they swim up or you know die or whatever or someone gets harpooned it just seemed like it was very limited in what they were able to do underwater right. in terms of action yeah. and so I think towards the end and, and they had like extended shots of, of people, you know, struggling and, and yeah. um, I guess tussling under the water, yeah. which, which it kind of towards the end of the movie, I was kind of like, okay, let's just advance the plot. Yeah. Like, I don't, I don't need another five minutes of watching people do the same thing underwater. Yeah. I um, think, yeah. So, so I, I guess it got old at that point, but I did love the exploration mm-hmm. And sort of when he met Domino, and I, I loved all of the underwater stuff leading up to, I guess, the big Yeah, battle. and I think t- time-wise, I think some of that is just the, the length of scene. So the air un- when they're unloading the airplane in the wa- underwater, that I think there's a little bit of flashing around, so it's not straight underwater. But total, there's like about five minutes of underwater time there. Um, later, when he meets Domino, it's like less than a minute of underwater time. Um after that, when he's doing the underwater exploration, it's about two minutes, but it's like, it's like up and down, like it'll, it'll go to the boat and then like dropping bombs on the water and stuff to like try to get him out. So like there's a variety in, in the shots. Um, when he escapes in the shark pool, um, that's about a minute or so, a little over a minute underwater, um, which is, I guess, not super long. But then towards the end, there's just uh, pretty close to each other. There's several significant um I guess scenes where he's there's he's spe- just spending like a lot of time underwater like the when they go and recover the nukes um I think he's yeah he so he goes and finds the planes like 2 minutes underwater um he rendezvous with Domino underwater and then he goes and recovers the nukes and that s- sequence takes like 4 minutes or so and then the final battle is like a, a little over 9 minutes of underwater time I think like you were saying, it's just um, because there's, it's hard to really have variety with how they were fighting underwater and some of the stunts, like he brought in some cool stuff. Like he would shoot, like shoot, you know, a heavy metal thing to, uh, to fall on the bad guys, or he lured them into like a trap and dropped a bomb on them. Um, but I think it was, uh, yeah, it was just hard to, I guess, for them to do it. I think they exhausted many of their options for what would be cool fighting underwater, but it was just, um, yeah. they might've, limited themselves a little bit by that being their primary arena of battle. Yeah. Which, which I mean, I guess it's, it's, it's either that or, you know, a fight scene where it's just, you know, punching and kicking yeah. out right. of the water. Yeah. So yeah. it's not, it's not like you're missing out on too much. Although I do, I guess the scene that's in my mind right now is the, I guess, final fight scene. Yeah from from russia with love Mm -hmm. um where he's fighting that one agent who the blonde haired blue eyes i don't i don't he might be austrian yeah i can't remember that one i might be making that up but um the big the big baddie from from russia Mm -hmm. with love that was a neat fight scene on a train Mm mm-hmm um and and i get i i guess i don't know they were just kind of throwing each other around kind of like at the beginning of this movie but the underwater fight scene um like i don't i don't know what i would have hoped for if they didn't have that but i i I didn't find i guess all i'm trying to say is what i've said earlier yeah yeah (laughs) but but i just i just didn't enjoy the underwater fight scene as much as i i would yeah um I think that's that's a fair thing because it was, I think what I remember about Thunderball like before I rewatched it um, for the purpose of talking about it, I remembered that there's a lot of underwater fighting. So I think that's it's iconic about this movie. So you can't really you know be like well, you shouldn't have done that because it's what I think one of the things that makes it memorable. Um, so I'm glad yeah. that we have been talking about that a little bit. But yeah, it's just. Um, it's just, I think, a little bit of a trade-off. And because there, there wasn't really, like, a long chase. I feel like usually there's, like, long chases um, or interesting chases in 
Bond movies as well. Uh, maybe not in every single one. Um, but I think because of some of these decisions that they just didn't really have time for like a whole lot of chasing except for like the brief um, car chase like on the road when he's going to get the assignment and that's like a 20 second thing and someone else blows up the bad guy's car other than Bond. Yeah. And I, I, now I'm thinking about it and I might just not like underwater sequences in movies in mm. general because <laughs> I just, I'm trying to think of other movies where there's, you yeah. know, like the movies where it takes place yeah. mostly in water, like, you know, shark movies Aquaman. and stuff. I just don't, <laughs> well, um, I wasn't really thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, no, but, it's different. But, but just like the, uh, what, the 47 meters down. Oh, yeah, yeah. And just anything that involves water. Like, there's been some movies like The Shallows or, yeah. you know, what, that yeah. other movie. About yeah, a lot of shark the, movies, the like you're observing. Yeah. I, I just, I, I don't like underwater, you know, movies or, or movies where the, the conflict is underwater. I, I don't typically yeah. enjoy those. Um, I think, because I think it makes it interesting. You know, because there's so much that can go wrong when people are out of their natural habitat on the, you know, in in the on the land breathing air, and when they're in the water. So, um, and like th- this movie, the Thunderball movie, you know, uses these golden grotto sharks who are allegedly like the deadliest in the Caribbean or or whatever. Um, in in the story of the movie, I don't actually know if those are real sharks or not. Um, but. <laughs> I mean, the, the sharks do like eat people. It's not like super graphic, but it's definitely implied that you know these sharks are. There's some. There's basically like a little bit of shark horror going on where people are just like, people might be watching this and just getting freaked out and scared to ever go scuba diving, or again, I don't know. But yeah, so I guess that could just be a taste thing for the you're, you're like you're just mentioning for your taste for underwater stuff. Yeah. And it, I think it's just action sequences or, or, or like when the conflict is underwater, yeah. but when it's just like exploration, like, like I love, like I said, I loved every yeah. underwater scene up to yeah. the battle. Like when he was, you know, faced with the sharks, when, when he was, you know, uh, doing some investigating, yeah. uh, looking for the hatch with the camera, when he was, you know, interacting with Domino. But those were, I guess, like you were mentioning, short bursts of underwater, yeah. Um, I guess. Yeah. And they did more like they would show you something in a boat and then underwater, like they would go back and forth to like, I think maybe mm-hmm. spice it up. So yeah. I think, yeah, when, as you're watching this movie, definitely one of those iconic things is the battle at the end. So what you'll have to kind of figure out for yourself is, is am I a fan of this, you know, almost 10 minutes of fighting underwater or um, do I find myself like being ready for it to be over? This could also yes. just be like a modern viewer thing because we can just take a lot of special effects for granted. But, um, like, I think this is definitely like a practical thing. Like they're, they're actually just mm-hmm. like wrestling and tussling with each other underwater and hopefully not actually shooting people with harpoons, but you know, uh, yeah. and I remember you mentioning, um, or, or you asked, you know, was this like a novel yeah, thing? Yeah. Like, like, were they just sort of flexing and being like, look, we can film underwater yeah. now. Um, which I, I I wouldn't be able to answer that, but that is something to consider as well. Like they might have spent a lot of time underwater because they were like, we can, like, you know, this is a, <laughs> <laughs> you know, a, a humble brag yeah. as to what we're able to accomplish um, in film. Now. Yeah, yeah. So, well, I think that's uh, pretty much all of my observations. We talked. I mean, you might want to talk a little bit more about something else, but we talked about the gadgets, talked about some of the plot stuff, talked a little bit about bad guy, the big kind of fight action sequences, the jokes. Um, well, did you did you appreciate the the plot or like the? Um, I, I thought that this was a very solid yeah. one. I mean, it's very, very. You know, if you were going to make, and I believe Austin Powers essentially, you know, parried parodied um this kind of i guess ransom type yeah. plot <laughs> where they where they uh you know the the evil organization steals nuclear warheads and then is like we're gonna fire them off yeah in you know prominent cities yeah 
in in our nation or in our world, I guess, right. rather. And if you don't, you know, pay us this amount of money, then that's what's going to happen. Yeah. And and I thought that it was really cool. The first half hour, maybe 45 minutes, I thought was really yeah, excellent yeah. and really cool where they, um, you know, took this pilot and they had someone do facial reconstruction mm-hmm. and take vocal lessons and sort yeah. of, you know, trained him to be able to mimic this pilot so that he could essentially, without alerting anyone, hijack an aircraft that is carrying these nuclear missiles. And then they were going to take them and keep them underwater and basically hold the world at ransom. Uh, I, I just thought it was a really cool sort yeah. of idea. And I thought the whole sequence leading up to, I guess, James Bond arriving in Nassau was was just really, really mm-hmm. interesting. And, and it really kept my attention. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I was really sort of excited to see where, where yeah. it went from and it, there. And it set up the movie very well. You got all, all of your major characters are introduced and they're like, you know, thrown into the thick of things and you're seeing them in action. Um, and I was also just realizing this movie came out in 1965. The Cuban Missile Crisis was in 1962. So I think this is also preying upon a very real fear at that time, which was if they can get missiles close enough. Well, all of the Bond yeah, movies do that. So if they can get a missiles close enough, you know, to the to Florida, then they're going to be able to, you know, nuke Miami, um, which I think would be a, would just add an element of like fear, timely fear, I guess, uh, to to the movie. Um, yeah, and, that, and that's something to sort of mention too is the James Bond movies have always been very relevant yeah. in in the in the way that they tell their stories and they will i guess some of the more recent i guess the most recent movie specter um it was talking about i guess big brother sort of watching mm. everything you do and and having cameras yeah. everywhere and um sort of privacy concerns and and that's sort of what that movie was about and and sort of it was it was talking about i guess What's the term I'm looking for? Like, um, cyber. Oh, okay. Yeah. I guess. Yeah. For, for, for lack of, I can't think of anything else, yeah. but, but the, some of the newer movies are, you know, more focused about, you know, cybersecurity and, and how people can sort of bring the world to right. its knees via a yeah. computer. Yeah. <laughs> So, so, but, but yeah, but I think that's also something to note is, is that these movies are very relevant with the times and, and, and adapt their, their screenplays, um, to sort of, I guess, sort of reflect and somewhat cash in on, like you said, the fears yeah. that, that people may have at the time. Um, but then I guess it's sort of also like an uplifting thing because you know that James Bond's going to save the day in the, in the end and, and, and be the the global protector that keeps us from um experiencing the aftermath of crises ready to happen yeah who doesn't want to pull for you know a hero Uh, (laughs) um, i think i think you just summarized the bond movies and their significance and relevance extremely well so i would hesitate to add anything to that um and i'm probably ready to start evaluating and giving our two cents worth. I think it's my turn to go first, but if you have anything else, feel free to um, feel free to share. I mean, I could, I could talk about a James Bond movie all day long. Um, But, but yeah, I think we've covered some of the more interesting things that are specific to this Mm -hmm. movie. Cause I could talk a lot about just James Bond as a character and the, and the franchise, but I think we've covered the, the the more yeah. prominent themes and and um and whatnot that that are kept to just this mm-hmm. specific movie so so yeah I'm I'm fine with moving on to evaluations and and I will let you take the yeah. wheel all right on this so one. um as I observed I guess I vocalized the observation earlier I was it felt a little slow as the water se- underwater sequences kept on going on but overall I think it was a very clever movie very cohesive plot 
Um, I mean, like the biggest plot hole is probably just him getting shot in the leg and just continuing to run like like nothing happened um, for miles. <laughs> it seems like, yeah, well, he's a man. Of course, we, that's we, that's the point. He's, that. he's James Bond. He just he he brushes off bullet wounds like yeah, it's just like a bee sting. Um, I like I like the bad guy or bad guys, I guess, because I think Fiona and Largo were a good kind of evil powered couple kind of thing going on. Um, and it was, I think maybe not, like you said, intentionally self-aware, but I think it was just cool how these movies by this point are taking shape as like a franchise. And there, there are things, you know, to watch for, um, the things you can expect. And even though you're expecting some of these things, you still enjoy them and like you laugh at them. So I think it's a, I think it's a good movie in the James Bond, uh, franchise for sure. I know we're not we're not necessarily giving a James Bond subscore, um, but <laughs> as an overall movie, um, I think most people would be able to watch this movie and enjoy it, um, and appreciate its novelty for its time, and also just um, appreciate it to commemorate Sean Connery and his acting career. Um, so I think all things considered. I I'm not going to rank this as high as some other movies probably. Um I think I'm going to give it a 7. Um Okay. So you agree with the IMDb? Well, audience. what do you know? I didn't even look at that this time. <laughs> um but yeah, like I guess like I said it was it was it was good. Um I I think for for me it was just the underwater was good. It was just a little too much of that and then um Yeah, it was just like with them limiting some of the action stuff, there wasn't like a, aside from the beginning and the very end, there was not like a clinching like action scene that was just like, Whoa, like that's crazy. So, but that's, yeah, that's, that's my two cents, I guess. Yeah. Um, I don't really have too much more to add. I, I, I I do think that the first half of the movie is stronger Mm. than the second half. Um, and I do think that, or at least for me, I was losing interest as the movie continued on in the last yeah. like half hour, or really maybe even just the last twenty minutes. But I, I enjoyed everything leading up to <laughs> the battle. But then, kind of after that, I was kind of just like, okay, yeah. let's wrap this up. <laughs> um, I thought I thought it was you know kind of cool to see the way the the last I guess minute tussle. Um, that happened on the boat that like Largo's escape boat, <laughs> if you will. Um, when, when I guess James Bond is fighting all those people and also trying to steer the boat, and then a Domino comes out and and shoots Largo, and and then they they get off the boat before it crashes and it, mm-hmm. it explodes. Um, I, I did enjoy that part. So so I guess I mean the only portion of the movie that I was just kind of getting through was the <laughs> underwater battle, yeah, which is yeah. disappointing because, you know, th- that is the climax of the movie and that's probably the the sequence that they were most likely trying very hard to get yeah. right and to, to make yeah. very enjoyable for audiences. And, and again, uh, you may have said something like this earlier, but it may be just because, you know, we, we live in a different era where maybe we, we mm-hmm. expect more. Um, so it's disappointing for me to think that way about that sequence, because I do think that, you know, it was probably an achievement yeah, for in, sure. in film. Um, but, but uh, again, I just was just kind of getting through that 10 10 15 minute segment um but but yeah i I think overall it's a very solid movie i think the plot's cool i I love you know whenever specter is involved and seeing you know whatever Mm -hmm. (laughs) plot they've come up with to to try to you know extort the world out of its Mm -hmm. finance so um i i I would probably have to agree with your rating I, i was thinking um the only reason I would deduct points is probably because of my disinterest in that underwater fight scene, mm-hmm. that, the nine-minute one. Um, so, 
Yeah, I think I think a, a seven is a, is a fair answer. So I'm also going to agree with IMDb <laughs> audiences. Yeah. But I thought it was yeah. a solid movie. Otherwise, and, and I think it would be unfair to give it less than a seven. But I don't think I'd want to give it yeah more yeah. than a seven. So, and maybe, gosh, it's it's kind of difficult because I'm starting to think maybe we should not look at IMDb or, just so biased or something cuz i i feel like i often find myself agreeing yeah, yeah. with the IMDb score um and i know that you you said that you didn't know about that yeah, when you yeah. scored this movie so, it's interesting so but that's but um but yeah i find myself you know since i do sort of the IMDb rundown at the beginning where you know they provide a lot of really cool information about the sort yeah. of behind the scenes of the movie um, but it, it kind of spoils, <laughs> I think the, the, the evaluation for me, because I often think mm. that I subconsciously, um, remember that score or, or maybe I just, you know, uh, maybe I just, yeah. you know, constantly agree. With I think, it. yeah, I think that's a good observation also for our <laughs> listeners is, um, you don't want to put too much weight on what uh, the internet says about a movie um, because you could very well get the most enjoyment out of a movie that is ranked like a six or less on IMDb. So it is, it's definitely not a perfect yeah. system. It's just the, a way that the people are able to speak in the democracy of the film internet. So I think <laughs> you also had mentioned you wanted to make a connection to a, a popular movie that is out right now. Um, I think, Oh well, a movie that popular, one of the movie, but... a few movies that is out right now. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, so I, I recently saw Tenet, and I saw it for the first time a week ago, um, on Friday. I guess that would have been the thirteenth, uh, maybe. <laughs> yeah, Friday the thirteenth. <laughs> um, but so I saw Tenet for the first time. And mm. it changed my life. I saw it again the next night. And then I saw it for a third <laughs> time today. <laughs> um, but but basically the observation that I made was if Christopher Nolan was asked to not just direct, but I guess write a James Bond film, I think Tenet would be the result. Um because it, it it is like a a spy thriller, but it also is very Christopher no- mm-hmm. Nolan esque. Like it, it's it's. I've, I've I was listening to a, a podcast review of that specific movie, and and someone said it was the most Nolan that mm. Nolan has ever Noland, and uh, in the as you know, odd as that statement mm-hmm. sounds, it makes <laughs> sense to me. Um, so, so, but I, it, it does seem like a very Nolanized version of a Bond movie. Um, and all I got to say is I would happily go to the cinema to see a Bond movie featuring either John David Washington mm. or Robert Pattinson um, as Bond, you know, because Daniel Craig's got one foot out the door. Yeah, or both feet probably at this point, <laughs> but, um, but I would happily go see a Bond movie featuring either of those two men, um, and I would also happily, hap- happily, not happily, I would also happily, you know, see a Bond movie that featured mm. Branagh as the Bond villain. <laughs> so. Yeah, um, movie producers. Yeah. If you're hearing this, then we are doing all of your casting decisions for you. All you have to do is uh, just go with it, and see what happens, yeah, and just do it. Um, I think those those are good connections, and uh, for, for people who would be interested in a James Bond movie, I assume they would probably enjoy Tenet as well. Yeah, I need to see it myself. Yeah, you need to see it. <laughs> um, well, I think that is a good wisdom for you to leave people with, and I just want to leave people with uh, one of the points of wisdom i learned in this james bond movie um i don't know if how many of you have handled you know thermonuclear devices before um probably not many of you but on one of the bombs i noticed 
uh, in Th- Thunderball movie, I noticed that there was this very helpful uh, wisdom proverb that says, handle like eggs. And I was just thinking to myself, you know, self, <laughs> if I just handled more of my problems, you know, like there were the tender, sterilized progeny of chickens, then perhaps the problems in my life would be different. So if that word encourages you guys, um, I hope it does. If it made you laugh, then that's even better. Uh, but Thunderball was a blast and looking forward to um, reviewing what's next, Caleb. Yeah. That is <laughs> but you guys will see it when <laughs> we do it. Yeah. So until next time. Um, yeah. Also, happy birthday, Scarlet. Farewell. Jones, and I'll leave you with that. <laughs>